Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. And thanks for tuning in each and every Saturday and telling all your friends. Ten and a half years. And now, Zach is in that seat that Steve used to be in. Doing a beautiful job. Using these sound bites to convey a concept. A concept of swagger. My guest today coming up at 8.15, you don't want to miss the interview, Gary Farrell. He founded a company. Scott Kaplan hooked me up with him. He makes shirts. A shirt's a shirt, right? It's just some fabric. Not really. Not if it can convey an attitude, a confidence, and tell your competitors, stay away. I'm special. That you can tell him I'm special. And that's what Gary's up to with this company. And I can't wait to hear where it all came from, how it all started. Because we watched for so many years Tiger Woods wear a red shirt on Sundays. It made him feel good and pumped him up. And it intimidated the hell out of everybody else playing golf against him. On Sunday, he had a swagger. Well, he learned that from Lee Trevino. Daniel Craig is in a movie right now, the last movie where he's playing James Bond. As a little kid, he inspired me. Dr. No. All the movies. You just want to be like James Bond. You want to have that swagger. Can you do it by just wearing a shirt? Yeah, you can actually feel better about it. You wear one of these shirts, trust me, people will stop you and go, that's a great shirt. That's how awesome it is. The fabric, the colors, the patterns. And you know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and my world of surgery. Swagger. Where in my lifetime did I see it? Well, in fashion, it started with a frail, wimpy, Charlie Brown kind of guy who wanted to be an athlete and be a tennis player, and have swagger. His own father said, forget about it. You're not going to have any kind of swagger. You can't beat anybody. Look at you. You're going to be an accountant. Sit behind a desk. Be a businessman. And Rene Lacoste, a hundred years ago, said, you're wrong. I'm going to be something. I have the confidence. I may not look like it. This story of the first man to use fashion and put a crocodile on the front of his shirt is an awesome story of swagger and confidence. And in sports, we'll get into it. The great Arnold Palmer. Long before there was a Tiger Woods, there was a man who blew up the country club, basically, and said, I'm a beer-drinking guy, and I'm going to beat all of you. And that was Arnold Palmer. But first, let's listen to the beautiful story in art fashion 
of swagger. The story of Rene Lacoste doing battle with his own father. Gradually, tennis became sort of an addiction for him. Sadly, no one believed in him. He didn't have the right physique to build a successful career as an athlete. He was short and not very well coordinated, too frail for a professional tennis player. But it was far from his only problem. Rene's father was opposed to his hobby. This disagreement even caused daily sports-related scandals between the two. The aristocrat wanted his son to become an official, not some boy with a racket. But after some time, the father did agree to give Rene a chance, but on one condition. Rene had to become a world champion, and he had only five years to do it. It might seem that five years was a lot, but for a real athlete, it's very little time. Weeks and even months of hard training, sleepless nights and determination, Rene could only rely on intensive training and his own strength. He never had any professional training. There was no such support from his father, and the young man could only count on himself. He perfected his technique each day by watching the professionals play. This almost sounds like the Alex Caruso story, but it's actually Rene Lacoste. During one of his professional trips, the tennis player was walking the streets of Boston when an expensive and quite an extravagant accessory caught his eye in a shop window. It was a crocodile leather suitcase. Very elegant and not cheap. If I win, I'll definitely buy it, Rene said to himself before one of the tough tournaments. He was a tough opponent, sometimes even aggressive. Each of his games was like a show. Rene always put in his best efforts to win, and he did. He had the confidence, the swagger, even though he didn't look it. And then one day, he saw something. The very next day, the crocodile suitcase was no longer in the shop window, and the media nicknamed Rene the crocodile for his playing style. Mm -hmm. He seemed to be jumping on the court, sort of jerking like a crocodile. A couple of days after the win, one of Rene's closest friends, Robert George, a part-time artist, gave him a drawing of a crocodile with an open mouth. Graceful shapes and small details depicted in the drawing enchanted Rene. So the very next day, he gave the white blazer to an LTA to transfer the drawing to one of its pockets. I'm gonna feel like an intimidating swagger crocodile guy, but now I'm gonna let the world know that's who I am. Listen, listen to what he does. In 1927, Rene entered one of the tournaments in the USA in a white polo shirt with three buttons. It was sewn by his own design and featured the same special crocodile on its chest. It should be noted that at the time, tennis players had to be well-dressed. White shirt and pants were obligatory. Rene's decision regarding his clothes was seen as a protest against the main rules of the tennis tournaments, but whichever way you look at it, White polo was much more comfortable, and it looked perfect against the background of a green court. Yeah, but it was that crocodile on the outside of the shirt that told everybody, I'm different. But some saw it as a defiance of tennis as a sport. Many criticized Rene and even wanted to ban him from playing, but he looked so cool in his outfit that soon other tennis players began to copy Rene's uniform, which, of course, he didn't exactly like. After a number of these situations and the huge popularity of the polo shirts among tennis players, Rene Lacosta ended his sports career. In 1933, he founded a new clothing brand named after Rene's last name, together with the knitwear magnate André Guillier, whom Rene met accidentally, by the way. It was this polo shirt that was the beginning of the international fame and success of the Lacosta brand. Of swagger, finally being able to use clothes to make a statement. But that wasn't all. For the first time in the history of fashion, the logo was placed not on the inside of the branded product, but on the front. 
Many even laughed at them for it, but they were very wrong to do so, as it turned out later. Up until the 50s, Lacoste polos came only in the universal cool white, but a little later, Rene decided to experiment. Thus, the first colored polo shirts appeared on the American market. It was a breakthrough. Men wearing Lacoste polos seemed to have a special status. Rene's goal wasn't just to fill the market with his product, but it was more like a work of art for him. But he also realized, like Steve Jobs with Apple, I'm not spending money on advertising and marketing. I'm going to tell you what you need. Same thing with Lacoste. I'm not spending money on marketing. This is going to be something that you're going to come to me for. Each individual piece of clothing was supposed to be, first of all, a sign of quality and uniqueness. Rene didn't spend any money on advertising. He believed that a good, high-quality product didn't need it. It all made Lacoste an exclusive brand. As Rene would later recall, I could embroider thousands of items a day, I could just fill the store shelves, but then it wouldn't be the Lacosta that I had dreamed of. But here's the genius move where he's ahead of his time in the 50s. He gives two shirts, one to JFK, soon to be president of the United States, to play Tennyson, and the most famous movie star, Clint Eastwood. It was in the 50s that the French polo was seen on John F. Kennedy and Clint Eastwood for the first time. It was a sly move on Rene's part, he came up with a brilliant idea. He sent Lacoste shirts as a gift to the most popular personalities of the time. It was a huge success. In literally a matter of weeks, the brand skyrocketed. Instead of spending millions on advertising, all it took was a couple of polo shirts. Americans would save up and spend their last money on this status item. Later in life, Tommy Hilfiger realizes Snoop Dogg is going to host Saturday Night Live. He gives him an outfit. Snoop Dogg hosts Saturday Night Live, and Tommy Hilfiger is now one of the biggest clothing companies in the world. He learned that from Rene Lacoste. Even Lacoste himself couldn't explain such popularity. He once said in an interview, there are things that can't be explained. Maybe if I had chosen some other animal for the logo, something cute and harmless, nothing would have come of it. A rooster, for example. Everyone would have known that the brand was French, but there probably wouldn't have been such an effect. However, the secret of the brand's success wasn't its logo. Lacoste is renowned for its versatility and aesthetics. The crocodile polo shirt was so distinguished that it could be worn in any situation, from a simple walk or even an important event. Where in the world of sports did I see in my lifetime swagger? Someone coming up the course. They called it Arnie's Army. Everybody wanted to be like this guy. Be like Michael Jordan? Well, before there was Michael Jordan. There was Arnold Palmer. Listen to Dan Patrick tell us the story. He played the game as if he were hitting the beach at Anzio. He swung from the heels and shot for the moon and led his army on a charge down the fairway. He was the best of 1950s America. Strong, confident, almost recklessly democratic. And with the virginal eye of television following his every golfing move, he took the game public. Television just started and everybody wanted to see this guy who was breaking every rule. Those fancy schmancy people in the country club. Now there was a guy who drank beer and smoked cigarettes. He was James Bond playing golf. He was golf. He literally picked it up on his shoulders and carried it to the people. It had been a game of the martini swilling country club set. And he, he gave it to the beer folks. Oh, he really let it out. A tremendous belt. Oh, th there's Nagel's ball and way, way past it goes Arnold Palmer's drive. 
He was the every person's sort of favorite. Smash it, crash it, get on with it. You know he's going for it. Look at that. He was just so, you wanted to be just like Arnold Palmer. That swagger. I don't want to say he doesn't have talent, because he does. But he has probably achieved more from just strict willpower. In Arnold's early years, Arnold was not a good driver. And he had to take these aggressive shots out of the trees and out of the woods and kept making them. And, you know, the people loved him because he won doing that. He enjoyed the intimidation factor. And Arnold uh, would hit some shots and almost as if say, okay, can you top that? There comes a bold Palmer putt. <laughs> and there it goes. Golf was, was, was not a, uh, anywhere close to being a major sport. Uh, certainly not a television sport, uh, certainly not a sport that the masses uh, were interested in until along came Arnold Palmer, the, the common man. The TV producers said we never saw anybody like him before. He was so rough and tough and you just wanted to be like him. He looked more like a, a college halfback coming down the fairways than a golfer of previous days. The first shot we took of Arnold coming over the brow of the hill and he walked up, flipped the cigarette, hitched up his trousers, drew up his nose, gave it a couple of snorts. That was his style, pure blue collar. Listen to Arnold Palmer tell you, I fed off those people. That's what swagger is. It not only gives you confidence, but its effect on other people. It's a two-way street, swagger. Knowing people are uh, rooting for you and are aware of what you're doing, uh, always helped me. Uh, it always made me want to perform more. Arnold Palmer was the next step after Joe DiMaggio. It's about having a good time. It's about enjoying oneself. Uh, it's about being what seems like a full, open, American man. He won his first Masters in 1958, but it was not until two years later at Augusta that he nailed down his role as golf's leading man. He won it again in 1960, and in 1960, he won another tournament, the U.S. Open, came back from behind, smacking the ball farther than anybody could imagine. He birdied six of the first seven holes, finishing the front nine with a record tying 30. His 65 was good enough to win. Two strokes better than talented amateur Jack Nicklaus. The 1960 U.S. Open Cherry Hills in Denver was, was the epitome of Arnold Palmer. You know, driving the first green and charging back from was it, seven strokes to win, that's not normal stuff. But then it becomes clear you could package that swagger. It was a lawyer, Mark McCormick, who said, Arnold, you play golf. I'll take care of marketing swagger that you exude. Now, play to win with a new Wilson staff ball. This is the famous long ball that Arnold Palmer used to drive 346 yards to the green and win the 1960 Open. In 1959, a young attorney named Mark McCormick walked into Arnold Palmer's life and changed it forever. Now you'll hear Mark McCormick and finally Arnold Palmer. He was very uninterested in those days in business. Then I said, Arnold, why don't you let me do all this stuff for you? And you just concentrate on playing golf. And he said, well, great. As odd as it may seem today, nobody was uh, doing that in uh, the uh, early 60s. The year before they joined forces, Palmer made $20,000 off the course. But with McCormick now handling his TV and radio exposure, exhibitions, endorsements, and investments, Palmer became a millionaire and president of his own company by 1966. 
It took a long time before I could accept the uh, fact that Arnold Palmer was a product. You're a product, Arnold Palmer. Swagger is a feeling, a feeling of confidence, something that you feel and other people can see. But it was Mark McCormick that realized you can actually make it into a fabric that you can touch. Who knows better about this journey than my guest coming up, the great Gary Farrell from Sunday Swagger. I cannot wait to talk to him about what swagger means to him. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning. Then with my friend, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. What experience have you had on the Popper Star? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I was a shoplifter for three years. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Who exactly is this? T.I. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. Good job, Zach. Making me a millennial. Well, I'm so excited to talk to my next guest, the great Gary Farrell from Sunday Swagger. Gary, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Hey, how are you doing this morning, Dr. Clapper? So, are you enjoying hearing these sound bites of Rene Lacoste and Arnold Palmer? There's a lot of history there. It's a yeah. lot of fun. And it's just, I just thought all week as a surgeon in my world, swagger. God, I used to, when I was in my medical school at Columbia, watching the chief residents in general surgery at a big New York City hospital. These guys were like gods to me, and they all wore white clogs. I tried wearing them, but they were so uncomfortable. But I would look at these white clogs with all this old clotted blood on them because they were surgeons and they did trauma and gunshot wounds and all kinds. It was like Hawkeye Pierce from the MASH units. And I, I just remember how unbelievably impressed I was with their swagger. So how do you put that into a fabric? Your story is amazing. So tell us how this all came about. You know, it's a long history, but I'm going to turn it over to uh, my partner, Mark, who, you know, started this thing, had the initial idea and really the backstory to what Sunday Swagger is and how he brought Swagger into the fabric. Okay, great. So I I guess you could say, I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I mean, I went to to college during the dot-com boom and, and certainly saw the gold rush going on within online business and you wanted to take part of that. And you know, at the time, I didn't know anything about HTML or coding, building websites, but you know, that, that wasn't going to hold me back. So mm-hmm. uh, days on end, I'd, I'd take, down, take myself down to Crown Books, bury my head, 
learn everything that I can. And lo and behold, just a couple of months later, started my first few companies. And it was really at that point where I discovered both my passion for business and technology. Where did you grow and up? Then, Where'd you grow up? What'd your father I, I do grew, for a living? My father was in the meat industry. He worked for Genio Foods in sales. Where? Where'd and you grow so, up? Yeah. He, it, what's that? Where did you grow up? Uh, Orange County, Yorba Linda, to be exact. Oh, wow. So you didn't want to go in the meat business like your dad? You know what? I love eating meat, but I don't think I want to sell meat. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll leave that on the plate. (laughs) And how young Uh, are you? Mark, how old are you? I'm I'm now 40 years old, just turned the big 4-0. So you're, you're young. You're young. So who is it that in your life was the most swaggerlicious person in sports or in art. Mick Jagger, James Bond, Michael Jordan, who's your goal for swagger? I would, you know, you you hit the nail on the head right there with James Bond. Um, I have a different kind of swagger myself, but that guy, he's the definition of swagger in my mind. Uh, I take my swagger to a whole different level, though. My, My swagger's a bit more loud than James. Which James Bond do you like, Sean Connery or Daniel Craig? Oh, I'm going Sean Connery all the way. <laughs> I'm an old school kind of guy. <laughs> my, fa- my favorite James Bond line was when she's in the bathtub and she says, he walks into the bath. she's in the bathtub, he's in the bathroom. She goes, James, please go get me something to put on. And he comes back to the bathroom with a pair of slippers. I just love that line. It was like fantastic. You could write a book with James Bond quotes, <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> But you know what? I have worn your shirt at, to see patients. And I can't tell you, maybe they're just trying to butter me up, but the patients go, that's a nice shirt, Dr. Clapper. And the the tech, Carlos Barrera, who who helps me in surgery, doing 12 surgeries a week at Cedars, said to me, you know what? Please tell them when you interview them this weekend that I wore that shirt last Tuesday Three different people came up to me and said, that's a nice shirt. I'm in the supermarket. That's a nice shirt, the cashier said to me. So it's the fabric. It's the color. It's the patterns. How do you, I mean, who needs another shirt company? But something right. you've we, done we, is we amazing. We call them the compliment catchers. I, I'm telling you, there's not a day that goes by or maybe an hour that goes by where we're not getting an email or a, a social media message telling uh, telling us that, you know, every time I walk out the door, people are walking up and, and asking about the shirt. And it's certainly the, the patterns and the colors that are catching the eyes. But when people put them on, it's a whole different feel. Wow. And so, um, yeah, just, just the, the, the response from our fan base has been overwhelming. Now, here's a soundbite I want you to listen to from 100 years ago, a guy who came up with this idea. This is Rene Lacoste saying, like Steve Jobs, I'm not spending any money on advertising or marketing, but he sent two shirts, one to Clint Eastwood and one to JFK. It was in the 50s that the French polo was seen on John F. Kennedy and Clint Eastwood for the first time. It was a sly move on Rene's part. He came up with a brilliant idea. He sent Lacoste shirts as a gift to the most popular personalities of the time. It was a huge success. In literally a matter of weeks, the brand skyrocketed. Instead of spending millions on advertising, all it took was a couple of polo shirts. Americans would save up and spend their last money on this status item. What do you hear when you hear that description? 
I hear that I need to be sending my shirt to Shaq. Because <laughs> <laughs> if there's any personality in the world that right. kind of fits the mold of uh, who our company is, it would be Shaquille O'Neal himself. That's true. So, Shaq, if you're listening, hit us up. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, swagger is this, is this vapor, right? You can't really touch it or you just know that it's there. It's in the confidence of the person and it's what he or she exudes. The The reality is, is you've somehow figured out how to actually make it tangible, where it's a color, it's a pattern, it's a material. What exactly is the material and who makes it? What factory? How do you, how'd you come up with this special material? You know, we, I can't tell you the number of manufacturers that we reached out to, to get the material right. Um, so it's a blend of polyester and spandex. And so it has this four-way stretch to it. I'm a bigger guy. Hey, I need to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so um, it has this four-way stretch to where, you know, if you're golfing or just hanging out, relaxing, you're going to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly, you know, putting the shirt on, that's the first thing that's going to stand out. But before that, I mean, the signature look to Sunday Swagger is certainly within the vibrancy of the polos and the patterns themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you how many different materials that we tested before we finally found the one that was going to be the, the hit. Um, and I'm and sure what about glad we the were patterns? the process. Mark, who, who is it that, d that designs you know, popsicles and, and, and pineapples and all these unbelievable designs and bright colors. You go to an art school, you get new graduates. How do you hook up with someone who clearly sees the world of patterns differently than anybody else who's ever made a shirt before? You're talking to him. You're talking to him, Doc. And I'll tell, I'll tell you this. Uh, a lot of wine is involved. So yeah. <laughs> i got to give a big shout-out to the winemakers of Paso Robles for con you know, contributing to the success of Sunday Swagger. Um, but I've always had uh, a keen interest within abstract art. Hmm. And so, you know, my brain naturally kind of gravitates within that direction. Hmm. And with, with Sunday Swagger, we wanted to develop a company um, and develop prints that no one else was doing. Mm -hmm. And I have this propensity to take risks. And so I was going to take risks with my shirts, design patterns that no one else was doing. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not afraid to put the brightest fluorescence on a shirt. And um, as far as our patterns, I could, I could make a Jackson Pollock look like the Mona Lisa. Hmm. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I have been so enamored by the word swagger and built the whole show today about that word and where I see it in my world of surgery, in sports, and in art. But there is a second word that you also are talking about, which is Sunday. And what does Sunday mean to you in, in naming this company? So the, the name of the company really stemmed, well, first off, I, I absolutely love alliteration. Um, and the backbone of the company was within golf polos. Mm -hmm. And with swagger, you could take that as, you know, kind of your show indicates in, in a number of different directions. But bringing Sunday into the equation in terms of the world of golf, that's the day that you need to have utmost 
swag, mm. close this baby out. Mm. And so that's where really Sunday swagger was born. The people with the most swagger are going to be winning on Sunday. Mm. Do you make a line for women? Do you make for kids? Uh, do you wear this shirt when you play tennis or other sports? What's, where's the future going with this? Tennis, the library, the office, you name it, wear it everywhere if you want to be comfortable. Um, but, yes, we, we actually just launched our women's line a few months back, and that's been a raving success, and, and we're growing that line out. Um, in fact, watch out this uh, coming Black Friday season because we have a few new prints dropping. Um, but we're still in Chapter 1 of Sunday Swagger. So we you know, want to be methodical with our growth, um, you know, certainly looking at expanding product lines next year. And kids wear is at the top of that list. I mean, I, I, I have a young daughter myself. Um, you know, maybe a son one day and to have matching swagger shirts would certainly be a dream of mine. <laughs> Listen, I don't think you could have picked a better spokesperson at ESPN than Scott Kaplan because he really uh, exudes everything you're trying to say with the brand. So I can't thank him enough and thank you enough for making time to come on the show. How do people get these shirts? Just online? Are they in stores? Tell us where we go next. The, the best place would be sundayswagger.com, or you could also purchase directly through our social media channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, golf courses are, are picking us up quite, uh, quite an alarming rate, so you might be able to walk into your local golf shop here mm-hmm. and uh, pick, out, pick out a branded shirt. But, uh, yeah, sundayswagger.com, and, uh, yeah, get your swag. Okay. Well, thanks so much for getting up early and teaching us about making a dream come true for you. And it's really been a beautiful dream. It's, believe it or not, something different in an industry that you can't imagine could have something different. You, young man, have been able to do it, and I applaud you for that. And thanks so much for being with us this morning. Doc, thank you for the time. Okay, my pleasure. All right, Warriors. That's an awesome story, and it's an awesome concept of being able to touch and feel a feeling, a feeling of swagger. Coming up next, I'll open the clinic. I also want to tell you some stories. And I also want to dedicate today's show to a surfer, a surfer named Tom Morey, who passed away last week. But he said something about his own life. And I, as a surgeon as, and as an inventor with patents, Tom Morey changed the world of surfing. But he said something, and it was said in his obituary, That really is a beautiful thing, and I want to share it with you. We'll do that. Coming up next, the number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar, and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN.
What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Dr. Clapper says measure twice, cut once. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Il Dr. Clapper dice, misura due volte, taglia una sola volta. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Speaking about shirts, this is Ed Sheeran singing about shirt sleeves. Good job, Zach. I want to talk first about Tom Mori, who passed away in his 80s last week. You've heard of the boogie board. Well, Tom Mori invented the boogie board 50 years ago and introduced more people to love in the ocean than anybody else, any other surfer in the past. He also came up with the idea of having fins on a surfboard that could be removable. No one else ever did that before. So many innovations. And for me as a surgeon, yesterday, in between my surgeries, hip surgery, knee surgeries, walking into the hallway and seeing the ultra drive. It's a tool used all over the world to do redo surgeries of hips and knees and shoulders, getting the prostheses out without injuring the bone. And those are all my patents. So I have a particular place in my heart for Tom Mori, who took his world of surfing and being in the ocean and made it better and changed the world for all of us. And in his obituary this week in the L.A. Times was the most beautiful quote from Tom Morey. And Tom Morey said, as an inventor, as an innovator, that in the train and on the train of life, I had a window seat. I could look out the window knowing that the people also on the train who weren't by the window could not see the future. I had a window seat on the train of life, but I was gifted in being able to tell those who didn't have that ability because of their seat near a window. I could tell them what I saw. I can tell them what the future was, and I could build it. What a beautiful way to describe a visionary, having a window seat on the train of life. So rest in peace, Tom Mori. You really did change the world and make made it better for millions and millions. And in the end, that's really the most admirable. Let's do some clapper vision in the sports, not just the weekend warrior, but the warriors. Clapper vision. Baker Makefield, the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. You just got to feel for this guy. He's just wants it so bad and I appreciate those young athletes who are driven Joe Burrow my favorite football player right now for the Cincinnati Bengals their quarterback and all he's accomplished on just willpower and talent but Baker Mayfield can't play because he's got not his throwing arm but his non-dominant arm has dislocated, and he's had to put it back in, which means he's torn his labrum. What does that mean? 
That means your shoulder is a ball and socket joint like a golf ball, the ball, on a golf tee, the socket, the glenoid, we call it. And there is a rubber. What's rubber? Your ear, for example. Touch your ear right now. That's cartilage. That's rubber. That's fibrocartilage. Well, there's a beautiful rubber washer that goes the, the, around the top of the golf tee in your shoulder that keeps the ball in the socket. It deepens the socket, if you will. So rather than the socket being all bone like it is in your hip joint, it's a deeper socket because of that rubber ring that goes around the top. That's the labrum. Well, he tore that labrum just like Cody Bellinger did. And look at Cody Bellinger and all that he's doing now, that his labrum was fixed. That's the same kind of surgery that Baker Mayfield's going to need. But Baker Mayfield revealed this week that he has something else also going on in his shoulder. And he has a fracture, a broken bone, exactly where the rotator cuff anchors itself to the bone. So if you watch, here's a clapper vision, a puppet or a marionette. You look at those strings that they use to make the arm or the leg lift up to move the puppet. You have those strings. That's exactly what your tendon in your shoulder does. Just like the string is tied to the wrist of the puppet to make the arm go up, the tendon is literally tied embedded into the bone at that anchoring site, we call it. And in our bones, there are different bumps where those different tendons that pull the bones in every different direction around the joint, there are bumps on those bones. And in Latin, the word for a bump is a tuberosity. The tuberosity for your arm, your humerus, there's two of them. There's a lesser and a greater tuberosity. Those bumps on the bone represent where different rotator cuff tendons attach. So if you want to touch your belly button, that movement is done by the subscapularis tendon. It internally rotates. It allows you to touch your belly button. Well, that is attaching. That tendon and muscle is attaching to a bump called a lesser tuberosity. But to lift your arm above your head, there is a bump on the humerus bone by your shoulder joint called the greater tuberosity. It's a bigger bump. That's why it's greater. And the tendon, there's a few, the supraspinatus and infraspinatus, they attach to the greater tuberosity to let you not only lift your arm above your head, but the infraspinatus allows you to take your hand off of your belly button and go and shake someone's hand to externally rotate. Well, what we know in orthopedics is if you break a bone, you need to have the two broken pieces in order to heal. They must compress. They can't be pulling away. If the two bones are being pulled away from each other, they'll never heal. You need them to compress. Well, guess what? If you break the greater tuberosity or lesser tuberosity, where I'm telling you a tendon, a bungee cord, is pulling on that anchoring site, pulling the, on the bone to lift your arm up, but if there's a fracture there now, the tendon itself is actually separating the bones every time it fires. It's, it's a negative energy 
to heal the fracture. Not a positive one. It's not compressing the bones like a screw would do. And so that is a deforming force. That's a negative force that the tendon is pulling on it. So you better shut it down. That's why Baker Mayfield's not playing, because he has a fractured tuberosity. And his rotator cuff is actually trying to pull it away. Let alone the fact that if he gets tackled, and if you don't think those defensive backs are looking to hurt someone who's already hurt, that's the way this game works. You will probably displace or pull apart the bone even more and delay the healing even more. So yeah, for those fantasy football fans, this is not just, hey, I pop my shoulder back in, it's my non-dominant arm, I'm going to go back and play. Uh-uh, not when you have a fracture. You got to get that to heal. So he is going to be out for a while. Clapper vision. Because of that fracture. There's a clapper vision for a warrior, not just a weekend warrior. And certainly I'm happy to talk to weekend warriors. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But coming up next, I got a few things to do. One is I got to tell you what Zach and I are going to do next week. What a great show we're going to have. And I also need to tell you, where is Swagger when it comes to food? I know what an L.A. hot dog tastes like with bacon wrapped around it, and it's good. But it ain't like having a red onion sauce. And there's a place in L.A. that you can go to and have that snap of the hot dog with that red onion sauce and brown spicy mustard and sauerkraut that we have in New York that will blow your mind. I'll get into it coming up next on the Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You know Conductor Hennessy, don't you? Inspector. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Inspector. Inspector yourself. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Having so much fun and enjoying our first day together, Zach El Caldi. Beautiful thing. What do they say in life? The one constant is change. Keep evolving. And that's what we do each and every Saturday. Today's show is about a topic that's near and dear to my heart because it's swagger. You better have confidence and swagger, particularly if you're going to go to the operating room and fix something that God made that isn't working anymore. Talk about chutzpah. That's what swagger is, chutzpah. But you can't be obnoxious about it. You have to have that confidence in order to do it right you got to be perfect, certainly as a surgeon. you got to have that swagger. Next week, 
my show is going to be from the world of surgery. And it's going to be about the needles that we use. Way back a few months ago, we had the engineer from Ethicon, the biggest suture company in the world, come and talk to us about the new suture material that I'm using. That technology from fishing, using a barb. Remember that show? Hook. We used that John Popper song about Hook. And it fascinates me because there are people, engineers, who spend 24-7 of their lives thinking about should it be nylon, should it be silk, should it be braided, should it be monofilament, should it be like fishing line. They spend all their waking hours thinking about stitches that I use. And it was so much fun to talk to the engineers from Ethagon. And it made me think, you know what? It's time to do it again, only this time. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about needles. You know, you say to yourself, okay, it's a needle. It's like a needle and thread. Who cares? Big deal. It's just a pointy thing that you pass through with thread. In my case, you pass it through tendon and muscle and skin and fat and subcutaneous dermis. But actually, you need a different needle if you're removing a cancer from the abdomen, a general surgeon, then me as an orthopedic surgeon to repair your Achilles tendon that tore or your rotator cuff. The tip of the needle is a different kind of pointiness. Steve Jobs spent months, according to John Ivey, the designer, thinking about the iPhone and the corner of the iPhone, that it shouldn't be a 90-degree angle. It should be curved. But what kind of curve? Who knew there were different kinds of curves? A curve's a curve. Not so fast. Same thing for needles. We have different types of tips of the needles that allow you to go through tougher tissue versus softer tissue. You don't want a super pointy cutting needle if you're trying to squeeze two portions of bowel together that you're repairing or a blood vessel if you're a heart surgeon or a vascular surgeon. It's different. How about if you're a neurosurgeon and you have to sew nerves together? It's different than me needing bigger suture material when I do a shoulder replacement to reattach one of your rotator cuffs back into the bone, trust me, I'm using some fat stuff that would abhor an eye surgeon. He would look and go, Robbie, Dr. Clapper, the suture that you're using is bigger than the damn lens I'm trying to repair in someone's eye. Are you kidding me? The tip of the needle is fascinating to me about how we connect things as a surgeon. But just as I say every Saturday, the world of surgery, the world of sports, and the world of art are the same to me. Where do you see those issues of the right kind of needle? So I'm already thinking about it, and there is an entire story that occurred that I was unaware of. And it involves the Timberland boot. In the rap community, they're called Tims. 
whether you're Jay-Z, Kanye West, aren't you impressed I know all these guys? Kanye West, Jay-Z, the notorious B.I.G. Biggie, they're wearing Timberland boots. There's all kinds of theories behind it, which I'm not going to get into. But who knew? I'm the son of a carpenter. I wore work boots because I needed them. But a Russian Jewish immigrant from the Ukraine a hundred years ago was a shoemaker. And he actually came up with the whole idea of making a waterproof boot. Not only keeps you warm, but how do you make it waterproof so that it keeps you warm in the rain, in the snow? This was the genius idea. And if you think talking to an engineer about needle tips in my world of surgery is awesome, how about thinking about sutures and needles in making a boot waterproof? And then I started thinking about, okay, I want to talk about threading the needle, the tip of the needle. Where's that in sports? And all I could think about, because this is how my mind is, threading the needle. Yeah, we use that term in sports. When we talk about a quarterback throwing a football. But that's really the tip, the tip of the football, like the tip of a needle and how it flies through the air. I get that. But I'm talking about the other side as well. The target. And so for me... That's basketball. Getting the ball through the hoop. But we just saw, at least I did, from last night. I forgot the athlete's name, the player's name. He actually missed the dunk. He flew so high in the air that nobody had ever seen someone go that high before. But he actually missed the dunk. His name escapes me right now. But when you can fly through the air and thread the needle, and dunk like nobody's ever dunked before. You're talking about Julius Irving and Dr. J. Everybody else came later. Michael copied Julius Irving. He'd be the first one to tell you that. Same thing for Kobe. He truly was a doctor with a basketball. He's still alive, so he still is. But in his heyday... When I got to watch him play for the ABA. But it was in 1983 that Chick Hearn and Keith Erickson called that game the Rock the Baby Dunk. Flying so high in the air and being able to thread the needle, get the ball into the hoop like nobody else. Yeah, that to me is what they're trying to do as engineers making a better needle tip for me as a surgeon, but that's what the Timberland Boot Company did. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. I cannot wait, Zach, to be able to pull these sound bites. Back to today's topic, though, of swagger. We talked about Rene Lacoste and putting a crocodile on his shirt. A frail, wimpy guy who still wanted to have swagger and intimidate people, and play, and became a champion. 
but he also changed the world of fashion as an artist by putting that crocodile on the shirt. And Arnold Palmer, that blue-collar, beer-drinking guy in the face of those martini-drinking country club people. In art, in sports, the whole idea of swagger. And those general surgeons, those trauma surgeons that I got to be around early in my career as a medical student that just impressed me so much. But what about food? You know how much I love food. And I thought all week, where am I going to find swagger in food? The easy answer was something spicy, something with jalapenos. Maybe it would be Indian food with curry. Or it could be some Thai papaya salad. That was too easy. I don't like taking the easy way out. Swagger. It means more than me, more than that. It means attitude. It just doesn't mean hot and spicy. Anybody can be loud. I want flavor. Confidence. When you eat something, it really gives you a tanginess. And the answer is a New York street hot dog with that brown mustard. But there's something special that they have in New York. They're red onions. They're onions in a red tangy tomato sauce, I think, in addition to the sauerkraut. And when those three things, it's like pizza, the cheese, the dough, the sauce, you need three things in life. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. You need it all. The Damn morning, right. the afternoon, the evening. Everything comes in threes. You need the mustard, you need the red onions, and you need the sauerkraut. Well, in L.A., you can experience swagger in food. And for me, the greatest is a Manhattan hot dog because it's from New York. And I know all the hot dog places. Trust me. I'm a hot dogologist. But the one place that has those red onions or red onion sauce to put on a hot dog is Fab's. Fab's Hot Dogs in the Valley. And I'm going to have Walter, the owner of that place, as a guest in a couple of weeks. But that's where I'm going this weekend because I want swagger in my food. And I'm going to get a Manhattan hot dog from Fab's Hot Dog in the Valley. And that is swagger in the world of food. So until next week, I'm going to leave you with Volare, which is kind of a swagger, which is, means I'm singing and I'm flying in Italian. And just as we do every Saturday, that's what we do, singing and flying. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. Nel cielo infinito Volare Cantare Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers, aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, 
follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.